Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Views on View. I am your host, Lindsay Wardell. With me today is Steve Edwards. Hello from Portland. Somewhat cloudy and cool. Austin Gill. Hey, hey, from San Diego. Clear blue skies and also a bit cool. And special guest today is Maya Shavin. Welcome, Maya. Hi, thank you. And hi from Tel Aviv. It's super hot here. It's like 40 degrees. So, yeah. That's I'll be honest. Celsius. Yes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> which translates yeah, to Celsius. <laughs> about what a hundred, hundred Fahrenheit, I believe, or something like that. I actually not good with it, but uh, I believe so. It's, okay. I, I really don't. I really every time when I heard about um, hundred or something degree, I was like, what? What is this in real degree, please? <laughs> I, I I just did a quick conversion. Forty Celsius is a hundred and four Fahrenheit, which. Honestly, I could go for it right now. It yeah, that would sound. That yeah. doesn't sound too bad, does it? Although my my well, family too saw in Arizona, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, it's already 104 down here." You know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yesterday was yesterday was 45. Some place that was 50 degrees. Oh. Um, okay. No thanks. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I spent time in Brazil. 100 or not 100. Uh, 40 to 42 was the most I was happy with. Yeah, but it's humid. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He is not human. It's just the air just stands still. You don't even have wind. So I was like, going to fend it? I'm not going to fend it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, folks, do you love keeping track of what's going on in the VIEW community? Maybe you're a little overwhelmed with all the new stuff. Well, don't be. Come join us at VIEW Remote Conf. VIEW Remote Conf is going to be a three-day online conference. We're actually going to have a fourth day the day before where we watch our favorite videos from VIEW conferences over the last year. We'll also have talks from our favorite guests from around the VIEW community, as well as our panelists from the Views on VIEW podcast. So if you're out there looking for great VIEW content that'll help you stay current with your web development skills, then come check us out at viewremoteconf.com. That's viewremoteconf.com. Well, welcome, Maya. Uh, Great to have you on the show today. Uh, Thank you. First off, just to start, would you mind introducing yourself to our listeners so they know who you are, kind of what you do? Okay, sure. Uh, so I'm Maya, and I'm um, senior front-end developer in Cloudinary. Uh, well, I've been working with uh, JavaScript the last, I think, four or five years. And before that, I was a back-end engineer in C++. Don't ask me how it goes. It was terrible. <laughs> no. it, it was okay, but it uh, doesn't enjoy that much. And I've been working with React in my work, in my daily work, but uh, I'm a huge fan of views in the beginning. Actually, I went to one of the, one of my interview uh, at work and tell them that, why do you guys use React, use view much faster? And I actually laughed at them, but uh, it's another story. And so I started coding about six or seven years ago at school. It was a very um, interesting journey for me because I never expect myself as a software developer at first, but somehow I got there and I'm here. <laughs> Be curious after talk about the view is faster than React discussion. How did you how did you get started with Cloudinary? Yeah, I, um, I mean, I I got headhunted. Uh, I would just I just gave birth to my second child and I was in maternity leave and one of the HR person approached me and asked me if I want if I'm interested in in, in uh, front-end developer position in Cloudinary and I was I was a huge fan of Cloudinary back then since the beginning when I heard about it yeah, so I like sure why not and I just went straight from about two or three from one phone call and two technical and one homework uh, basically about four interviews in total, and I got on board. Uh, I started with Cloudinary about almost a year and a half ago, like almost two years ago. And yeah, by July this year, I've been already two years with Cloudinary. Very nice. Congratulations. Thank you. Seems like, seems like a really cool company to work with considering the uh, the product. Yeah, it's, it's indeed. It's a, a, my team also. So the team I'm working with is is really awesome. Well, when I when I go when I go to when when I went to the interview, I actually they didn't really ask me what technologies I'm, I'm working with or like like if I work with React before. I, I never worked with React before I joined Cloudinary. When I heard about it, 
when I try it, I never really like it. And then I, when I went to the interview, I actually tell them that uh, you that the chosen stack of React is bad. So why did they chose React? Why not chose Vue? And uh, one of my projects, I the, one of my tests that I had to create a project, um, an app for 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 the homework. I actually wrote it entirely in Vue, and somehow they the team was okay with it, and they like. Sure, and they, they were surprised that it was so fast. But I still didn't convince them to change. But anyway, it's cool. And yeah, the company is super, super nice. And people are really friendly. And, and the product, I love the product. Yeah, I'd be curious to hear a little bit about what your kind of day-to-day looks like, especially considering, I think you were saying that the, their product is in React, but um, it sounds like you get to use Vue. Well, the, um, the product I'm working with is the DAM console, which is the dashboard or the inter dashboard, sorry, the management console for image and uh, videos. Anyone of you here using Cloudinary? I mean, the DAM console thing. If you do, then that, that's how my project is. The app is written in React, but they have also on uh, different teams, like right? they have a team that written view like different blocking like uh, SDK for view for React for Angular for uh, Node and have a backend team doing algorithms and all the different stuff. Most of the thing, most of the marketing side or more, most of the other newest product we have is written in uh, Preact also and also in view. And uh, recently we have another another project coming with Svelte. So. Yeah, it's, it's pretty dynamic. I can move from one technology to another very fast. That sounds yeah, awesome. That sounds like a dream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it was kind of it was kind of funny because when they started the view project, I was I was the only one in the company know about view. So they asked me a lot of questions, how to view it, and what what do the view developer would like to see and what 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 should be done there. So that's that's so cool. And recently we have another project about web component, and um, probably I will be on board for that one also. I hope. But yeah, we we, we do a lot of uh, dynamic. Uh, like if if you like some specific technology or you want to try on something new, you can always request, and then you can always switch team for short term or for long term. Depends. We've kind of got into talking about ourselves and your role at, at Cloudinary and how that's worked with React and Vue and stuff. But I don't think we've actually talked about what Cloudinary does. So I think before we go too far down, maybe we should talk about that because you know we mentioned that there's an SDK, but for anyone that's not familiar, what what is Cloudinary? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, well, first of all, it's the service on the cloud. You can guess based on the name, Cloudinary. <laughs> But, uh, okay, so it's actually very, the product is very starting a very simple concept. So you have, you have a lot of the image, images, and you don't want to host it on your, on your, in, inside your app because it's take a lot of resources. Or if you um, host it on another third party like Amazon uh, S3 or something, you have to. You still need to uh, to do some a little bit of uh, what you call um, transformation or hacking in order to 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 make the the image appear on the website according to a certain size and certain style of filter. Let's say an avatar will have like four over four hundred pixel, but then the same picture can be about thousand um, over thousand pixel in the same website. And uh, normally what we do, we have to, in order to preserve the resolution, we have to fetch the whole original high resolution picture and then we style it according to CSS. But uh, with Cloudinary, you can use the URL um, mechanism to, to actually request the same uh, photo, but in quality, according to the quality, out or like according to the quality of the resolution of the device or the format that the browser is uh, prefer like WebP for Chrome automatically or any other form for other browser like Firefox. 
but you don't have to change the original image that hosted in either Cloudinary or in other third party that can integrate with Cloudinary. You can also use the fetch mechanism to fetch the image from outside of Cloudinary and request a more optimized version of it. Say I want a, um, 400 over 400 pixel, so I can just use the URL parameter to, to request from this Cloudinary server for the specific photo and it will return to you that photo on the side on the side that you want. And already the size of the whole photo is already optimized and it's, it's very good on the uh, discern the client side, especially nowadays when we have a lot of performance issue and about loading on the resource, how, how much time do it take to do the first paint and everything like that. So that's what we do. We also do other service like uh, provide a filter, smart smart tagging and all other stuff. But the thing I like the most is the URL uh, transformation URLs mechanism that we have for the photo because I use it most of the time. Yeah, this is, I mean, I, this is something that, you know, when I was living in the Drupal world, that was, you know, it's a huge, huge issue. And they came up, we called it image caching or image styles, basically where the backend code, you could specify, okay, create me a style and do this to the image, crop it, you know, down to this size and, and do this and that and the other thing. And then you could call it by styles. So there's a lot that goes into to something like this and be able to just upload an image and then specify in your URL, okay, give me this size, you know, and these parameters and just get it is awesome. Yeah, and then you can also do other things like you have a photo and then you want to embed it and logo on the photo itself or you want to um, crop two photos, like to, to merge two photos together, one overlay the other. Have a lot of stuff they can do without need, the need to actually create the whole photo in Photoshop and then save it and then fetch it. Uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of things that they very useful and it shortened the, the time for us that developer to deal with it. I think that's one of the things that I, I consider that most valuable about my company's product, I mean, the company product. Lindsay or Steve, have either of you had much uh, hands-on experience with Cloudinary? Not Cloudinary itself. I've used a similar service that the, my backend CMS for my own website uses, but I mean, I've read about it and heard a lot about it, but haven't actually worked with it myself. So. I have personally not yet. I've been primarily relying on Gridsome to do my image work for me, the processing on it, as I do my build step. Well, so you should, because a Gridsome image is good, but not as good as Cloudinary. Try it. Go try it. I'll have to go do that right after this. Um, (laughs) So you gave a talk at Vue.js Amsterdam this year about performant components through customization. Is that correct? Yeah. I'd like to talk a little bit about some of what you were you were talking about there. I saw you talked about uh, different component libraries. You were talking about customization on those, how, how to make them fit into your application. And I really loved your talk, by the way. So I was hoping oh, we could talk you. a bit about that. Yeah. Okay. I'm so, always I'm happy, so happy to hear someone like my talk. <laughs> Yeah, and for for anyone listening who hasn't heard it yet, I highly recommend it. It was it was great. So, yeah, I'm not sure where you would like to start since people hopefully will go with listen to the talk as well. Is there any any particular topic on styling that you would like to talk about, Maya? Well, for styling, have a, a lot of different approach nowadays. Most probably some of the viewer, prop, some of the listener already heard about it. Let's say. Um, CSS in, in CSS in JS, like CSS in JavaScript, and you can hear the most in now. I think it tell in CSS, which everyone like totally into it. And of course, component library like we have like Beautify, uh, Element, and of course the one I mentioned in my talk is the storefront UI, which I dedicate for e-commerce mainly. So. There's that's a lot of different approach try to how say level down, reduce the amount of work needed to do to work with CSS because everyone have a problem working with CSS. It's not easy to do. Well, we can 
Uh, one of the things important that uh, I found when I do my talk is that no matter what you choose, you need, you need to understand or you need to understand what exactly do you aim for. Because each of the concepts is have pro and cons. Like if you use uh, tail and CSS, you may end up with a lot more overhead about this, uh, the class selector or uh, overhead about override later on and a lot of maintaining code, even though it's very, very easy to start, very easy to set up and very uh, fast and lightweight, but also using other component library also not as good, like you're using a component library like Beautify, then you have the component itself, but not all the components are customizable enough or sometimes you find yourself then that need to create some new component and then it, it doesn't really fit and then you have to create a whole component by yourself uh, and maintaining also very, very, it's very costly and size, bundle size, a lot of things. So depend. Well, what do you well, do? You guys use Beautify or something, or Tailwind CSS maybe? Yeah, I've used Beautify pretty exclusively over the past year in a pretty large app for you know company that I was working at, and I've been looking into Tailwind CSS. A lot of people talk about it more and more, and so I understand the concepts of how it works in terms of atomic utility classes. Having looked at both of those, like you said, there are trade-offs. Tailwind can be, you know, you can tree shake it with post-CSS and only get the classes that you're actually using. And you can do stuff like that. The thing that Beautify adds on top of your CSS is um, bundling pieces of functionality into elements that you can easily drop in. So one that I used quite extensively was a combo box with chips, for instance. So you can create a really prick, what's the word I'm looking for? A quick field, you know, select list that you can either say, okay, only allow one or allow multiples and you display it with chips. And if you click on the chip, you can, you know, wire up a function that does a bunch of stuff for you. So I guess it depends on what your needs are. You know, do you need something that you can just drop in that has a whole bunch of functionality or is all you care about the look, you know, your colors and, and all the CSS and stuff that goes along with it? And that, I think, to a large extent, that's going to determine what you're going to use for, you know, the given project. Yeah, exactly. But also, you can combine both of them if, if, you, really, if you really need to. I use Tailwind CSS now for a side project. And, and I used to use something like Technion, if you guys may heard. Technion is also the same concept like Tailwind CSS, more or less. It's utility library anyway. But... Uh, one of the things I really don't like is that the thing you can end up with a lot, a lot of class on, on Tailwind just for make the functionality of a button work as you want it. But if you do a little bit tweak, like if you wanted to, if you want the, the button to have different colors and uh, on a certain time and somehow the button have a default color and the default color, the selector, the class selector is go come first because it's the order of CSS appearance in the style sheet. So if the class is come before and the class you want to change, you want it to, to apply to it, then no matter what you apply, it will never change. And it's, it's a lot of also overhead. And also yesterday, I just found out, probably someone know that already, but um, I found a bug about, about uh, how to say, um, filtering out on the, on the CSS, on the selector, on the CSS you don't use, because it's only work if you use static class on, on your template. But if, if, one, if one time you use a class that dynamically or on a component like using computed props or something to generate a class and that class doesn't appear anywhere else except display, then Tailwind will, on the compiling time, it, it will not recognize that this class will be used in the entire, pro, entire project and it will never be included. So that's the downside. So basically it worked too efficient to the point that it removes all the class, some class that you may or may not use pro programmatically not statically. 
So yeah, that makes sense. Him. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. yeah you I've, I've actually, yeah. I've actually run into that in, in the app that we're working on right now. We started importing some of Tailwind into it and we were using them as, as computed properties in view. And suddenly uh, yeah. when we went to the QA server, suddenly all the classes were gone and none of the style was applying. So we had to take out purge CSS. Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny because in, in dev, you will not see it. Only when you deploy it, it's like, where's all my class gone? <laughs> yeah, I think actually I'm... there is a way around that. Uh, well, there's a couple ways around that. I, I've heard you can, that purge CSS actually works kind of like, you know, well, for lack of a better term, in a stupid way or in like a, a naive way. So it, it's really just looking for like class equals quotes and then whatever the class list is. And I, I've heard that you can actually just put an HTML comment in your code with that and it will include those classes. So if you know ahead of time the classes that you're going to include, you can do it that way potentially. But then PurgeSS also has a, uh, has a feature that you can whitelist classes or I don't know exactly what the term is, but you can basically enforce that certain classes will will definitely make it into the production without, you know, so you can still have the computed classes and, and kind of like ensure. Because if you're doing anything with like uh, view router, for example, there's a bunch of classes that view router will have such as, or sorry, not router, the transitions. So like oh. transition active, transition enter, whatever, you need to include those into the, uh, the whitelist. Yeah. Way. I, I I haven't tried that approach, but sounds interesting. I'll I'll try because uh, for now, uh, what I did, I just add an empty div, like a hidden empty div with all the class that I'm using specifically. It's it's uh, it's very painful, but it's okay for now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess the job done. Well, yeah, I get the job done, but it's, you know, it's like the ugly hack. <laughs> you know, yeah. I see it until someone inspected, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, I am. I am. I would be curious because you you touched on this topic. So I'd I'd like to hear about your your experience with the kind of bloat that you see because I'm I'm really curious. I use Tailwind and I like it, but I also am in the back of my head thinking that all of the classes, like this long list of classes that I'm adding to my HTML, well, it's not just HTML, right? It's HTML rendered by JavaScript and, and JavaScript has to take the time to like parse and then render. So I'm wondering, not just on the bloat side of things of, of the download, but if you, if you see any, like what sort of performance issues you see either in the download bundle size or in parsing time using Tailwind or not. Oh, at the moment, I haven't seen any specific performance issue yet. I mean, it's, I think it's because they they do removing the CSS class, so it's actually it's good at some point, and it still maintain a very lightweight. But it's hard to say at the moment because you need a very large app, you know, like very more complex rather than just a two or three page application or a blog a blog or a landing page to tell to say how is how much uh, improve or how good the performance or how bad the performance of Tailwind CSS in total. It does, one One of the things is done is very well, it's removing the class and very precise, but still if you define a lot of the class like in the team config, in the configuration of Tailwind, you can actually override or customize some or provide more class according to your need. So if you do it wrong by adding more class and each class do a little bit of here, a little bit of there, and just um, add it to the to 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 the to the style sheet, and it still it's become big, and and we still have the problem with downloading the style sheet in in, in the end in the client side. Uh, again, the concept is good, but uh, it's it's really hard to to say because it's really depend on how users use it. I, I personally don't find anything uh, problematic about it yet, but when I use Tech, uh, Technion, which is another, I think it's uh, before before uh, Tailwind on the same concept, but less. They don't have the the mechanism of uh, trip like 
they lived in all the unused CSS selector, then it gets in heavy and heavy very fast. Yeah, I'd like to see that comparison, but I mean, I'll, I, was, I wanted to I want to see the 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 very complex app. I probably try to to do something more more bigger than just a normal website and see how it goes. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I would love to see that. So if you do if you do pursue that and you want to like share it on Twitter or whatever, definitely let me know because that sounds it's something that I've had in the back of my mind and I yeah sounds really cool. Yeah, I definitely will let you know. I just uh, I it's still it's it's very hard for 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 me sometimes just to look at like if I have a button and I have to add like four five six different styling in order to have a round button and with hover effect on it, it's pretty long. <laughs> but at the same time, I don't remember what it's called in Tailwind, but don't you have the capability of grouping together a bunch of classes into one item and then applying that as a class as well? Um, I'm not sure. I haven't reached there yet. Uh, maybe someone already used Tailwind yeah. to that level. So, and- yeah, what you can do is... if. Let's say you're just in a, a view single file component and in your style section, you create your own class, let's say logo or something. If you're doing it with post CSS, you can then do an at apply and then start listing off tailwind classes. So you could at apply py-2, px-3, bg blue 400, oh. something like that. And then you can just okay. apply logo in your template. So it, it, it takes all of those styles and put, or all of those classes and puts them together into one class for you. Oh right, right, right. I think I think I heard of, I I think I I read about it before, uh, a little bit about it, but I never really see use it. Uh, yeah, like, like go, go, go ahead. <laughs> I was gonna say it's re- it's just really nice to use, uh, especially as you're onboarding people on your team into using Tailwind. Because mm-hmm. I had the uh, the issue on my team of hey, I love these single classes that do this one thing. And my team looked at it and was like, well, you're going to end up with 10, 20 classes on any given element. And I was able to say, no, but you can do this at apply. And then it's all just right there. And you don't have to look at it anywhere else. That's so. cool. That's cool. That's definitely something you need to check out. Yeah, I think I think I heard about it because when I, there was a talk I did about um, CSS in JS. You probably heard about that trend. And uh, there were one the talk there was one section of a talk I was doing the the research about using Tailwind with CSS and JS, which means you can define on the team and Tailwind are using the Tailwind uh, default team and apply to your CSS inside your JavaScript without using CSS like without writing the style and section and everything, and and it works. It's pretty cool uh, actually. Okay, so I'm curious. What is the benefit of CSS and JS when you're programming in Vue? I, I can understand it in React, but if in you're in Vue, you already have the single file component with a style section. How does how does CSS and JS help us there? Well, the, the thing is, um, even if you have the CSS in the same file, it's a different section, so they don't really commu- communicate with each other. Like. It stay, it stay stranger to each other. Like the JavaScript would never know what is CSS, and the CSS will not know what is in JavaScript, right? So if you do teaming, for for instance, if I have an object that you have inside the object that you have a field called team, like a background color for this specific object, and you want to to render the the object into a, a component. Okay, for example, I have a card, and the card I need to render the card with the background that I got from the server based on an object itself or the theme of the card itself according to, 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 to that background I got from the server. The server returned me the, the object in JavaScript, but CSS will never know in runtime what is the background of this object in order to make, to, to change the styling. And if, if you want to do it, by right, I need to do with the like skin lifestyle or do like um, something like doc, get attribute or, so, sorry, override the style inside JavaScript. And it's a lot of work and it's sometimes it's not efficient and you, it can cause repent of the whole DOM depending on what, what, uh, what functionality you're using to override it. Also, in lifestyle, it's not good. 
So CSS in JavaScript means that it allows you to create a class dynamically with styling of that component, the tie to that component, and it's only on runtime. So you don't have to load all the CSS. Like you, tailwind, you still need to load the tailwind, the CSS file, the stylesheet file on the first time it's load the web page. With CSS and JS, you don't need to load anything because everything will be calculated the moment the page, the, the JavaScript is loaded. So it's, that's one less file to download. And also you can change the, um, and the, the team in very fast because JavaScript know what to do in, in uh, to, to, to the, the JavaScript code actually control the CSS code at this point. Um, but again, it's only good for that purpose because in, in the end, it's like you're missing between CSS selector and JavaScript code together. It's never be that great. And performance-wise, it's like instead of loading two different files, CSS and JavaScript side-by-side or, or um, one after the other, now you have to wait for JavaScript to trigger to load to compute to add in to to add new class dynamically on runtime and if the javascript break or someone disable javascript on the website that's it it's gone and also it's not working on server side rendering so okay that makes a lot of sense it's great if you want something that really dynamic like when i i when i I create a demo app about um, pokemon in and I want to, the background of the Pokemon, the car of the Pokemon have a, a, a colors that represent the, the Pokemon that I got from the server. Like I query, I'm using Cloudinary to query for the color of that uh, of that uh, Pokemon image and use that, uh, that color to render the background of the car. So this cannot be done with just CSS. So it has to be done with uh, either inline style or CSS in JavaScript. So it's, it's more, I have more control over the runtime, during the runtime of the rendering. Whenever I'm stuck on what to learn next, a lot of times I just go back to the fundamentals and think about how I can make those things more automatic. The reason is, is because then when I focus on the fundamentals, I'm able to actually level up in all the other areas that I'm trying to learn. So I teamed up with Kyle Simpson to focus on the fundamentals of JavaScript. Kyle wrote the books, You Don't Know JS Yet, and his Getting Started ebook goes over just the fundamental fundamentals, so to speak, of JavaScript. And we're putting together a 30-day challenge where you can actually level up on this stuff, get it down pat, and then you can go and learn all of the other things that you're doing that are based on these things. So if you go sign up for the challenge, you can do it at devchat.tv slash bookcamp. That was Kyle's idea you can get the following as part of the challenge. You get daily training videos, which are worth about 150 bucks. You get daily exercises and homework, which again, are about worth about 97 bucks, especially with the coaching that we give you around them. You get access to the private Slack channel, which is worth about 20 bucks. You get access to a premium podcast series that Kyle and I are going to record. It's an eight-part podcast series where we talk through all the pieces of the book. You'll get three Q&A calls per week, and that puts you at about a $1,779 value. And what's great is you also get then the audio from the podcast, you get the video from the training, you get the experience from working, and you get the visual reading learning from the book. So you're going to learn this in multiple ways. Once again, go sign up at devchat.tv slash bookcamp, devchat.tv slash bookcamp, and you can get it for $197. If you use the code JSJabber, you can get it for $147 instead. So go check it out right now, devchat.tv slash bookcamp. Yeah, and, and that makes a lot of sense because I know in our application we do sometimes uh, inline styles with computed properties or something. So just kind of standardizing that around a CSS and JS setup makes a lot of sense. Just I, I have a, a team member on my team who's uh, always trying to push things down into CSS, keep it in classes. So I was curious your uh, your take on it. Well, I am the classic person, so I. Honestly, I don't like to mess CSS and JavaScript together because I don't think there's something good about doing some stuff like that. Plus, in view, uh, it's not really that important uh, because we, we we actually have scope uh, CSS and CSS module, which is good enough. Uh, and, and CSS and JS are very specific, course, very specific 
use case in this term. In a way, you still need to be organized. You cannot, <laughs> like, you cannot miss, uh, how do you say, apple and banana? Or maybe you do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love well, apple I, and banana. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, my, my, my son loves apple banana, so he always do, like, apple banana, apple banana, something like that. <laughs> you, you have to. That's how you make a smoothie. Ah, yeah. Mm. Well, again, uh, CSN is only for React people. It's more important for React than for Yeah, I'd be I'd be curious to hear if there's anyone listening that does CSS and JS with Vue. I would love to hear your story and and why you do that. I think I came from a background of a lot of, you know, I learned HTML and CSS long before I learned a lot of JavaScript. So I kind of have that same opinion of, I like my CSS to just be CSS. I like my JavaScript to be separated, but I'm trying to be more open to these, these paradigms because as you say, Maya, like the theming, the thing that you, the thing that you were describing with getting like going to Cloudinary, getting the primary color of an image and then applying that color to an element. Like there's no way you can know that ahead of time at build time. You only know that at runtime, depending on, you know, what the image is. Let's say it's a user, a user uploads an image, right? But I wonder, I think the future kind of will be interesting as CSS variables play out, because I think that that is a very nice, comfortable interface between CSS and JavaScript. If you have JavaScript only changing the CSS variables and then, you know, CSS variables being used throughout your style sheet. Have you played yeah, that's, with that's, that? Yeah, that's definitely uh, definitely one of the take that of, uh, of CSS uh, CSS variables is is, is really good. Uh, I mean, I I use CSS variable all the time. Uh, I I used to use SCSS uh, SAS or less something uh, variable, but recently I I don't use them anymore. I only use uh, CSS variable. It's it's very. It's like it's allow you to to override variable inside your app without the need of uh, a lot of performance issue going ahead. The only downside is that it doesn't support IE. Again, <laughs> uh, anyone here really care about IE? <laughs> yeah. Well, well you I can also follow know. like you can also practice progressive enhancement where you have you know whatever variable whatever CSS properties you're going to define or assign to a, a variable, you can also assign it one line above with whatever the default is for your application. So then you kind of like fall back to the default view of the application and then apply the variable dials. Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. Uh, yeah, one of the nice things about CSS variables is that you can define a whole uh, team and also like, uh, like instead of uh, you have to do, let's say, Tailwind CSS, you have the whole config file with all the team and you need to define it. Uh, the new, every color you add in there, either you override class of Tailwind or you override, or you create new class. But for a CSS variable, you only need to create a CSS file, put in all the, um, on, all the variables you need in the root file, in the root uh, selector, and then you can override it on the component scope on the component itself, and it's only applied to the component itself. And it doesn't, it's like it's totally isolated from all the component that is not nested inside that component, which I think is super cool. Yeah, the future is exciting. <laughs> yeah. But I must say that they do a lot of, um, how do you say, they do a lot of improvement on CSS lately. Did you ever try about CSS custom property, or is, I think custom property? Yeah. So I I was kind of under the impression that custom property and CSS variables were the same thing. That was my understanding as well. Well, they have other things also. Not not I think not just uh, yeah it, it is it is uh, variable, but I think they have more stuff coming up. Hmm. Not, not 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 just a variable. The variable is just the first the first phase, I think. Uh, I'm really excited for uh, what just landed. Clamp. Has anyone seen Clamp? For- the Clamp function. There's also some cool color functions oh, that are coming. I think it did. Is that the one that does the aspect ratio, or is that a different one? I guess that's aspect ratio. Uh, that's aspect. Oh, ratio. the Clamp function. Okay. Yeah. 
Wow, that one is cool. Yeah, so we're we're getting way off topic here, but uh, the clamp <laughs> function, like my my the most exciting. Well, actually, no, the most exciting thing I'm looking forward to is gap in Flexbox. But besides that, the the clamp function will take a minimum value, a middle value, and then a maximum value for a property. And so the most relevant thing that I can think of is when a designer asks me on phones to make the text, the font size, you know, minimum of 14 pixels or 16 pixels. And then on desktop, the same font needs to be like a maximum of 42 pixels, let's say. And then for any screen in between, it had to be some like fluid value. And you could, I mean, there was some like really janky way to do that before, but now you just have this clamp function. You can say like, you know, minimum 14 pixels, maximum 40 pixels, and anything in between you can do based on like viewport width. So it's like a fluid, yeah, really hard to explain over, over chat, but um, <laughs> I can, I can put a link to, to that. Well, um, if, and, and, and if you guys are curious, um, yeah, you should check it out. I mean, I'll check it out for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'll put a link, but let's, oh. let's, uh, let's, let's get back on track. <laughs> All right. So, so Maya, I believe you're working on a project called Storefront UI. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Um, I've heard of it. I'm not. I'm not too familiar with it yet, though. Oh well, uh, Storefront UI is the uh, customizable. It's the name is pretty long. It's customizable and performant component library that is meant for e-commerce purposes. So all the all the components were built based on the design system for e-commerce. So it would we, we don't have a lot of components compared to other library like Bootstrap or like the Beautify, but we have all the components needed to set up a store. And it can be override, like user can customize it according to what they need. And also it, it's performance, which means it's fast. And it's lightweight, yeah, of course, according to under circumstances, but in general, it's, it's fast and um, the, we, we ship it is in a raw, raw ship, uh, not, not like a bundle uh, ship, like not bundle code, but we ship it raw, like as comp- component book component instead of the whole library. So you don't really, you don't really need to do uh, allocated mode. You can if you want to. But you can also do a classic where they import the comp- uh, library and then just import component inside to you specific, to you and a specific component that you write in. And this way you have more control over the code base. Yeah, and, and it's, it's e-commerce. So yeah, whatever e-commerce need, we, f- we provide. So including also accessibility and on the, um, on the brand, the, the Brand look and feel, so customization is one of the most important in the project. Yeah, I say storefront. That sounds awesome. If you guys don't mind me jumping in again, I really am curious, have questions about this is a progressive web app, which is super cool, which means, or presumably that means that it works online. So I'd be really curious to hear about the checkout and shopping cart experience and managing that in an offline environment, or if you do that? Um, the offline environment, I mean, you in storefront UI, we don't have it yet. I think we're working on something. But it's, it's hard because if you off, if you offline, how we get most of the transaction, you need to be done online, right? So if you offline, yeah, exactly. either way. So you cannot really process, like if you want to connect to PayPal, you still need to connect to PayPal to the internet, so I'm not sure how it works because that's not that's not one of the, the that's not one of the thing we're doing this right now. And maybe my 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 teammate from the from the store from UI can answer that because there was a there was someone working on the checkout and the integrate with the third party also. One thing I really like about storefront and the documentation in particular is how you break everything down so you're very focused on that atomic design and you've got the the sections for each of that is like using Vutify as an example i've been playing around with that right now and they 
if you want to go into forms, for example, you, you open up the form and you see all the information about forms and all the bits and pieces around it, but you don't get the parts that are inside the form element necessarily. You have to go and find those. And on the storefront UI documentation, it's very clear. These are the atoms. So here you can have an arrow. Here you have a button. Here you have a circle. And then you have the molecules you add to cart. I thought, I thought that was a really great way to organize the documentation so you can find exactly what kind of elements you're looking for. Oh yeah, that, that's what that's what I really like about and the, the docu- our documentation because um, because our um, component our library it will, will be based on atomic design system. If anyone of you ever heard haven't heard about it, it's recommended to check out. It's uh, it's the concept from I think a Brad Frost. If I'm not wrong, it's atomic design. So it's like. It's, it's break all the components smaller and smaller until the, the smallest component you can have. And that way you can build sort of documentation based on it. And this in this way, user will have less like hustle, like less problem in, in going and check out the documentation and how, learn how to work with each of the component without relying on the other component. Our documentation actually based on the actual code. And so we, we do it in the automatic way. My one of my teammates, he did a script to um, Eddie, his name is Eddie. So uh, Eddie did a, a script that will take whatever code or comments was written inside the the the, the view component, the view file, and extract it to the file, a readme file, and arrange it according to the order of appearance. And, and this way we have the autom- automated documentation ready to be used and people can understand and it's it, it up to date. So there's no there's no gap in when what is actually going on in the component and why it's actually written in the documentation. So from the atomic standpoint, it sounds like you're it's basically the tailwind. Uh, philosophy, right? Of breaking everything down as small as possible and only applying it as needed. Yeah, it is. It is almost the same concept, mm, but the I think I think Tailwind break it down into more specific. Like even the hover or anything is is become a, a separate thing. We break it into atomic. I mean, you like a button is an, an item, but uh, a button with uh, let's say, um, let's say a banner and a button is actually a molecules, and they just be on top like a um, ceramic, I think, and like a le- like a Lego. So you you can actually build different components from different Lego, and and so and also you can create your own Lego from the existing Lego. So the, the atomic design is, uh, I I I think the concept is is pretty neat. Yeah, it feels like something that I tried to implement at work. Just I didn't have the name and I didn't have the whole methodology in mind when I was going for it. So I'm going to definitely take a look at this and see if we can bring it into work. You should try. Our project is not yet production ready because we have a lot of work, especially on accessibility. And that's what my that's my initial take when I joined the project for for checking about accessibility and enhancement that. Because e-commerce is very important, but uh, we haven't been entirely complied with eco- uh, with all the accessibility rules. It's not that easy. So still, uh, it's it's not production ready yet because we may have a lot of breaking changes. But it's ready for try now or build some store just to play around. We try not to try not to to be to make a lot of breaking changes by doing a better planning and better model, better planning and design. Well, it's it's hard to avoid. Like the last time, I think two months ago, we did a breaking changes from uh, switching every all the variables from CSS to CSS variables, and that was one of the major things that I really supported. And it was a huge relief for me that we did finish with it in the end. But it's broke on the existing project that um, you used to override on the CSS, SCSS variable in the project. <laughs> well, awesome. Thank you so much, Maya, for uh, sharing all of this with us. 
I got lost jumping through all these cool component examples. Yeah. Before we wrap up, Maya, is there anything else that you'd like to talk about? Well, then, well, I um, like my, I would talk about my plan, I guess. I mean, um, Go for it. talking about, yeah, talking about CSS in JavaScript. Um, I'm doing, a, um, I'm preparing a course for uh, teaming in in view application using CSS and JS, CSS module, and CSS variable. And yes, it will be on uh, online. So stay tuned, or <laughs> if you're interested, just just uh, hit me up uh, on Twitter or something, and uh, I'll give you for more time. I actually will build the whole application about Pokemon for that. And which is so cool. <laughs> and I really like it because in the end I got to learn GraphQL. <laughs> I don't know how it related to each other, but yeah, somehow from team into GraphQL was kind of fun. Um, and that's it, I think, for, for now. If my next plan is just to learn about Vue 3 and try to apply to Storefront UI to comply with Vue 3. Did any one of you try Vue 3 already? I've tried it a little bit using the Vite library that Evan Yu's been working on in Vite Press, oh, the v- but I, have, okay. I haven't gotten too far into it yet. Isn't that oh, Vite? Is it, yeah, I exactly. Have. I wanted to ask, is it Vite or Vite? <laughs> I still have no idea. <laughs> it, it's, so hard. It's, so, it's so hard with all the name in here. Like, why can't they name it normally that someone can actually pronounce it? Well, I believe it's usually, it's a French word for something. I forgot, but yeah, Vue and Vite. going fast or something. Well, you know, if Vue, Vue is in French, so obviously he would choose something French for the name. So, yeah. so do we have Vue Press or we change completely to Vite Press? I think we're getting there. It's, I, I saw a tweet that said that Evan wrote, I guess we'll go with Vite. He wrote Vite so that he could write Vite Press. Wow. Um, so... That that's my experience with Vue three is just playing around with those new projects that Evan's been working on. Yeah, I haven't tried it yet. Um, so, so someone asked me about it the other day, and uh, I, I think the major change about Vue three is the server side support and the composite composition API, right? But yeah, I, as as far as I go, I'm I'm yeah. okay with Vue two. Well, awesome. Well, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Are you freelancing or moonlighting? Or maybe you've thought about going out on your own. Every week, we have a group of developers at various stages of the freelancing journey on The Freelancer Show to talk about becoming better at freelancing. We also bring in experts to talk about marketing, SEO, and delivering high quality to clients. So if you're interested in going freelance or you are freelance, check it out at freelancershow.com. At this point, we'll move into picks. Uh, Picks are where we talk about things that we have found uh, that we like doesn't have to be tech related. Often it is, but we'll just go around and uh, start sharing. We'll start with Steve. Steve, do you have any picks for us this week? Yeah, I'm going to go with a TV show this week. And, you know, one of the, I think, rather popular genres of TV that falls under reality, I guess, is your uh, home renovation or real estate type shows, DIY, HGTV, and so on. And normally I'm not a fan of those, but my wife and my nine-year-old son have sort of sucked me into one of these. Um, and it's, it's a newer one. It's only been around four years. They've got four seasons, at least, and it's called Hometown. It's this young couple, Ben and Aaron Napier, that uh, live in a town out in the middle of nowhere in Mississippi called Laurel, a small town. And the whole show is renovating rundown houses or you know, people coming in, buying houses, and then them doing the work to renovate the house. Sometimes it's you know smaller renovations. Sometimes it's much larger gutting and totally redoing houses and so on. But it's been a fun show that I've gotten into and it's on uh, HT, HGTV is the channel that it's on. So I'll uh, throw a link to that in the show notes. Awesome. Thank you. Austin, do you have any picks today? Yeah, I got some picks. I don't play a lot of video games because probably because I have kind of an addictive personality and I just like go full in. But today I have some video game picks. I it was one of these weekends during quarantine. Flavia, my wife, and I didn't have anything to do, and so I was just kind of looking for some things. We wanted some things that were easy to install and play, so ideally no download. 
Um, free to play would be great. And just like works in the browser. And we found two games, or I found two games that were pretty good. So one of them is called Realm of the Mad God. I've also been really into pixel art lately. So Realm of the Mad God is like this little 8-bit, you're this little 8-bit pixel person running around, killing monsters. It's really interesting because the whole point is kind of to like get your character to level 20 and then die. And then that's how you unlock the new characters. It's kind of weird. And the other one is an MMORPG called King's Road. It's pretty interesting. It has definitely a lot more features that are very kind of addicted focused to get you back into stuff. But one thing I like is while you can pay for upgrades and features, and you know, obviously that's how they support the game, they do give a lot of stuff. Like I think there is a way to kind of go through the game without having to pay. So not that you shouldn't have to pay, but I don't like when, you know, all of the secret best stuff is behind or is limited to people that have their wallets out. <laughs> so that's it. King's Road and Realm of the Mad God, two games. Wait, that one have a server and the MMORP one is already, you know, what server are you playing? So both of these games are browser-based, so you don't have to download anything. They run in your browser. They're free to play. And then you can pay to like upgrade some things if you want. So, are there different servers though? So, like if if I was to play King's Road, would I have to choose a particular server so that we could play together? Oh, oh I think there are different servers, but if if you have a friends list, you can like join your friends. So it's like you know, Flavia and I would would just like go and like play together. And I think you can have three people in a party to like go on a map. So it probably cap out at three of your friends at a time or two, two of your friends, I guess, but it's cool. You level up, you get skills, you kill bad guys. It's fun. I, I always play war, Warcraft, war, war, um, yeah, W-O-W, uh, and some Chinese MMORP. So that's actually kind of sounds cool. Now check it out. Okay. Now I have to ask Maya, what, what did you play in world of Warcraft before we get to your picks? Oh, I play a panda. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Yeah, I, I like the, the moment they introduced Panda, I switched to Panda. I used to play the the Brist, but then uh, I saw the Panda, like, it's just too cute not to play it. It's so cute. <laughs> Very nice. I I used to play as a, a warrior so I could I could tank. That's what I did. Oh, yeah, I know. I, I'm more into magic and so... Yeah. I know that could be an entire podcast in and of itself if that's just talking about that. So, um, <laughs> yes. Maya, what are what are your picks? Oh yes. uh, well, I I don't have much to pick nowadays. I mean, one of my my pick is probably Animal Crossing about game. <laughs> you you got probably heard about Animal Crossing, right? For a game for Nintendo. Oh yeah. It's super yeah, super cute, and it's super boring. And that is boring to the point that you have to play it. It's like super relaxing. And you, you just stay there and, and uh, it, it really stress. Like all you can do, all you do is just go to fish and fish different fish or weeding or um, cooking or making some. Uh, it, it's like show, social social network. Or, no, I think it's called... I'm not sure the t- the correct term for it. it's like a social interaction where you can visit other players in the in the game. You can do all the tasks. You can sell your stuff. You can buy a big house. You can be in debt, but still be happy, very happy. I never seen a single one in in uh, in uh, my in Animal Crossing that's not happy, <laughs> even though they have like almost a one k. 1k 1000k of debt in the bank or something it's it's kind of funny like it's super cute and i love it i i really love it it's so so much relaxing and you're just staring at the at at the sun and or just sitting there let the day pass by and it's it's reality like it's, it's updated to the to the to the to to the actual clock. So the outside is nighttime. Inside the game is also nighttime. And yeah, pretty much <laughs> my 
my husband always asks me, why do I want to play a super boring game? I'm like, why not? It's cute and it's boring and it's really relaxing. It's it's perfect for the for the Corona period now. <laughs> yeah, Except one of, one of the things I like. One of the things I like about Animal Crossing is, like you said, the, it's synced up with time. But like when it gets late, the store closes because it's late. And they want to go home. So it, yeah, it feels more real too. Yeah, and, and you can see ghosts. Like on your island, if you go past 12, you may see the ghosts. I don't have the new ones. I don't, I don't have a Switch, but I've, I've played the old ones. Uh, ah. I've just been watching people playing. Okay, you definitely should get the Nintendo Switch. I mean, but but wait, wait until they 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 release a new one. They have the new Nintendo right. Switch. Yeah, that the old one is the current one is good, but uh, but I heard that they will support more higher resolution. Either way, it's it's, it's just so good. I I, got, I always play at twelve or midnight or something because I have kids, so I cannot really play during when my kids are around. But uh, and work on, of course. And then when I play, it's already past midnight, and then suddenly it's a, it's around me is all the ghosts, like floating, floating like Super Mario floating. <laughs> that sounds somewhere between terrifying and awesome. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> And, and you can also get stung by a bee, like real stung or by a bee. <laughs> nice. I think cool. that's it. That, that's my that's my pick. That's my sick pick. Great, thank you. I have three picks today. I so we're recording it around the Microsoft Build Conference, and I have been watching that as much as uh, time allows. So I have three picks around that. First is. Visual Studio Code Spaces. For those who don't know, it's a way that Microsoft is setting up so that let's say you're working on GitHub and you want to contribute to Vutensils or Storefront UI or something, but you don't want to download everything. You don't want to install all the dependencies yourself, your own node modules. So you just click a button in GitHub and you start up a code space online in a Docker container and you can just make the changes right there. You're running Visual Studio online. You're able to sync up your settings from your local Visual Studio interface. You're able to run localhost right there, and it'll it'll uh, allow you to open up a tab. So it's looking really cool, and that's Visual Studio Code Spaces. That's my first pick. The second is Azure Static Web Apps, which is essentially Microsoft's take on Netlify. You're you're able to deploy a single page application. You can have serverless functions. They have authentication. They have guides on how to deploy React, Vue, Angular, Svelte, a whole bunch of stuff looked pretty interesting if you are looking for an alternative to Netlify for some reason, or you just love Microsoft. And third is a video. I haven't watched this video yet. I watched the shorter version. It's called The Journey to One.net. And the the goal that Microsoft has is they have a whole bunch of different .net runtimes. They want to get to just one. And so they're talking about the journey on reaching that. And that's, believe, hosted. One second. .net is only open source, right? It is. So there's... There's a whole bunch of stuff, and we could probably go into another podcast right there. There's .NET Core, and then there's ASP.NET, and then there's like the Mono, which is a rebuild of .NET to be open source that Microsoft then purchased, and that's what Xamarin was built on. So there's a whole bunch of different pieces all around the .NET framework that they're trying to bring together into a single unified cross-platform solution. Because right now, only some of .NET works on Linux or Mac. And the rest of it has to be on Windows. So they're trying to migrate all into this .NET core that allows you to do everything cross-platform. So that's that's what they're working on right now. And that's that's letting them do things like Blazor, which is single-page applications using C-sharp in the client. Or, right, right. Uh, I heard about Or that. Xamarin. Yeah. So that should be a great video. It's sitting there waiting for me to watch. The shorter version was excellent. So I recommend watching that. Actually, my picks. husband also recommend my, my my husband also recommend that is uh, he recommend me to Blazor and to watch the to 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 dig into Blazor and see how it goes. It's looking really cool. I've I've only done a little bit with it since I prefer Vue, which is why I'm here. But it looks really nice, especially if you want to just write C sharp on the server and the client. If it works, that's wonderful, and then you can just use the single language like us JavaScript people do all the time. Oh yeah, I think my day with C sharp has ended. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I'm, 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 I think I like JavaScript much better. <laughs> I agree. All right, 
Well, thank you again, Maya. Is you mentioned people can reach out to you on Twitter. What where can they do that? My Twitter is at Maya Shavin, like my full name, just uh, that's it. And um, you can just hit me up at uh, Stura like, A Aaron. I how do you guys call that that thing? A at okay at Maya yeah. Shavin, at Maya Shavin, yeah. Because yep. uh, I'm, I'm speaking three different languages, so each each language are talking and calling this at the in a different way. So I'm actually got mixed up between these three sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, you can reach out reach out to me on uh, at Maya Shamin on Twitter, and I'll be happy to answer any questions or discuss about is anything related to CSS component library or just Vue. Awesome! Thank you so much. Thank you. And if you would like to reach out to any of our panelists, you can find me at Yagabush on Twitter. You can find Steve Edwards at Wonder95. You can find Austin at Stegosource. You can also reach out to the podcast itself at Views on View. We're also hosted at devchat.tv. Hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll see you again next week. Adios. See ya. Okay. Bye-bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.